Well, good morning, FCF Church. It is so good to see you guys here this morning. If you're watching online, we are so happy to have you joining in with us as well as we enter into the second part of our series called Getting Better at Getting Better. And we launched this last week by asking the question, have you ever known what you should do and didn't do it? Has there ever been a time when you knew what you should do and you didn't do it? And we asked this last week and somebody raised their hand and we all said, shame on you, how could you? No, we didn't do that. We all raised our hands because we've all been that person who knew what we should do and we didn't do it. We've said things like, man, my health would be so much better if I would just, or my finances would be so much better if I would just, or my relationships would be so much better if I would just. And there have also been those times when we knew what we shouldn't do and we did them anyway. And we said things like, I am so going to regret this or I'm going to hate myself tomorrow. And we just do them and we become active, willing participants in undermining our own happiness. So it led us to ask this question afterwards, how much better would our lives be if we just did the right thing more consistently? How much better would your life be if you just did the right thing more consistently? How much better would your finances be? How much better would your relationships be? How much better would your health be if when we knew what the right thing to do was, we just did it? If we just became the kinds of people, the kinds of people who just when we know what we should do, we just do it. And we recognize that the problem isn't a knowledge problem because we know what we should do. The vast majority of the time, we know what we should do and we know what we shouldn't do. And we recognize that it's not a too hard problem because we're all capable of doing hard things when we're sufficiently motivated. And so we talked about how do we cultivate motivation within ourselves that we just do the right thing more consistently. How do we do that? And we compared it to cultivating soil, that when you put a seed in poor soil, it doesn't matter what you say to that seed, it will not grow. And if you put a seed into good soil, the most natural thing in the world for it to do is grow. So how do we cultivate our inward condition so that we just do what we know we should? And so we took a look at something that was written by a man named Paul who lived during the life of Jesus 2,000 years ago, and he started out persecuting followers of Jesus and then became a follower of Jesus after he met the resurrected Jesus. And he was central in spreading the Jesus movement throughout the Roman Empire, and during that time wrote letters all over the place. Many of those copies we have today, and we we can find them in the New Testament portion of our Bibles. And one of those letters he wrote to a group of followers of Jesus living in Rome, many of whom were Jewish followers of Jesus who were experiencing this dissonance between knowing what they should do and struggling to be able to do it consistently. Not much has changed in 2,000 years. And so Paul wrote as much to them then as he does to us today. And looking at what Paul wrote, we recognize that when within ourselves we have a number of, but at least two desires, a desire for acceptance that we desire to be accepted, to be loved, to be valued, and a desire for autonomy, a desire to be the ones who are making the decisions for and have control over our own lives. And that whenever our desire for acceptance conflicts with our desire to do the right thing, we will tend to choose whatever brings us acceptance. And whenever our need for autonomy conflicts with doing the right thing, we will tend to do whatever we feel brings us freedom or control or autonomy, or a sense of control over our lives. And we also discovered and talked about how when God tells us, uh, or we have the impression that God wants us to do this in order for us to be accepted by Him, we feel like we're being asked to sacrifice our autonomy in order to receive acceptance. 
and eventually we resent that, and ultimately, ultimately, we resist it. And Paul told us that Jesus came in order to free us from that, that Jesus came, and through his life, and ultimately through the cross, he meant to allow us to recognize that we are already fully accepted, that we are fully accepted and loved by God exactly as we are, and that God is a respecter of autonomy, that God respects our freedom. He didn't come and put a gun to our head and say, do what I say or else. He came and he pitched a vision for our life and said, now you are free to come and follow me. And then when, our, when we embrace our God-given acceptance and our God-given autonomy, it frees us and energizes us to do what we know that we should and become the people we were created to be. In fact, only, only when we are loved unconditionally are we free to become who we were meant to be. Furthermore, When we are loved unconditionally, when we embrace our God-given acceptance and our God-given autonomy, we no longer live our lives seeking those desires. When those desires are fully met in Christ, we no longer live our lives seeking to fulfill them through other means. That releases us, releases us to replace those desires with a brand new desire. And to go back to our super dorky illustration about the seed in the soil, when that seed's in the right soil and it starts to grow, once it breaks ground, that plant will orient itself towards sunlight for the rest of its life. Because the sun is what it's meant to grow towards, because the sun is what gives it energy to grow. And so it will seek sunlight with unyielding determination without ever getting distracted by anything else for the rest of its life. And when we have embraced our God-given acceptance and autonomy and are no longer needing to seek that anymore, we are able to replace those desires with a brand new desire that the entirety of our lives were meant to be oriented around that energizes us and fills us and excites us and that we then pursue with unyielding determination. And that's what we're going to take a look at today as Paul continues in his letter. We're going to pick right back up with where we left off. And here's what Paul says. He says, those living according to the sinful nature. And the sinful nature, sin, we talked about this last week, that God designed us to live a certain way. When we live the way that God designed us to live, we experience our greatest joy and satisfaction. And when we live any other way than how he created us to live, it hurts us and hurts others, right? And so God says, don't do that. And he calls it sin. Well, here's what we know about sin, is that sin always offers some kind of pleasure in the moment, but comes with a long-term cost. And those of you who've lived long enough, you know this, because you're still paying some of those costs from things that you enjoyed in college. And some of you are still making payments on things that you enjoyed when you were a young adult. And some of you know that you have bills coming in the mail for something that you're enjoying right now. Because sin always, always, always comes with some kind of cost that we have to pay down the road. It's not a punishment from a God. It's just what happens, which is why God said, don't do that. It's not good for you. And so you're wondering, well, why on earth would anybody be so foolish as to do that? Well, Paul tells us. He says the reason they do that is because they have their minds set on what that nature desires. 
Paul says, look, it's not rocket science. You know why they do those things? Because they want to, right? They do it because they want to. Because, look, we will, what we desire will drive what we do. What we desire will drive the things that we do. And our desires, our desires are based on what we think will make us happy. We think it will make us happy. You know why people engage in sin that offers them pleasure for a moment but comes with a long-term cost? Because they think that will make them happy. The reason we enjoy the temptation now, even though we know it's going to come with a cost later, is because we think the happiness this offers me now is greater than the happiness I'm going to miss out on later. We do it because we think it'll make us happy. And this applies across our lives. The reason we make the choices that we make is because we think those choices are going to make us happy, or at least in the moment. The reason we sleep in instead of getting up early is because we think, at least in the moment, this is going to make me happy. The reason I skip the workout is because I think this is going to make me happier than the long-term benefit of making the workout, right? We do the things that we think will make us happy. And if we haven't embraced our God-given acceptance and autonomy, then when that immediate thing offers to make us feel more accepted or autonomous, we're going to tend to do that because we're convinced that will make me happy. So I'm going to be more tempted to lie in the moment if it makes me look better. Or I'm going to be more tempted to gossip about that person if it makes me look like I compare better. Or I'm going to be more tempted to date him or date her because that makes me feel accepted and desirable. I'm going to be more tempted to smoke that if it makes them like me more, right? And if it offers me a feeling of autonomy, if it makes me feel like I have more control over myself because I can act impulsively without thinking about long-term consequences, I'm going to choose that because I believe this is what's going to make me happy. And if your long-term desire, if your long-term desire isn't sufficient for empowering you to overcome those immediate temptations, then you have an insufficient desire, If the thing that you think is going to motivate you to make those decisions in the moment is, you know, I just want to be healthier, and you still fall to those temptations in the moment, then that's an insufficient desire. If your long-term desire is to be financially healthy, just to be financially healthy, but you can't make wise financial decisions in the moment, then that's an insufficient long-term desire. If the desire that's driving our lives isn't sufficient to help us overcome the temptation in the moment, then it's an insufficient long-term desire. But when I have embraced my God-given acceptance and autonomy, now I am free to embrace a new desire for my life that is meant to drive, inspire, motivate, and energize me. And Paul's about to drop that on us. Here's what he says. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit... Those who live the way that God created us to live, those who make the choices that allow them to experience life to the fullest, that's who Paul's talking about. Why do they do that? Paul says, here's why. Because they have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. You know why they do that? Because they desire what God desires for them. But the thing that God desires is not what they desire. So what is it that God desires? God created you and he created me in his image. He created us to be like him. But 
we messed that up real bad and lost track of what God is like. And so God did what he had always planned to do. He came in the person of Jesus to show us exactly what he is like. And here's what he showed us, that he is love. And not just emotional, sentimental love that says, like, I love you, but I'm really not going to do anything for you. But like a self-sacrificial love that leverages his best for the best of others. This is who God showed us to be in Jesus, that he is love, a self-sacrificial love that leverages his best for the best of others. God came in the person of Jesus and said, what can I do to take the best of who I am and the best of what I have and leverage that maximally to benefit as many people and as much as possible. And what he did was he gave his life on the cross to show us his love, his goodness, to offer us acceptance and freedom that we can become the people we were created to be and experience life the way that we were created to experience it. It was the greatest thing that he could do for us. It was the greatest gift that he could give. And he created us to be like him. He created us to be people who are capable of leveraging our very best, not for ourselves, not for ourselves, but for the best of others. What God desires for you and what God desires for me is not for us to be more spiritual, not for us to be more religious, but your best for the best of others. That you would take the best of who you are and the best of what you have. That you would take your experiences, your talents, your gifts, your knowledge, everything that you are, your personality, and everything that you have, and that you would learn how to leverage that maximally to benefit others and allow them to experience their best. And the best of others is when they learn how to take what they have, their knowledge, skills, abilities, their personality and leverage that for the best of others so that the better you become, the better others become. And the better they become, the better others become. So that you have this compounding exponential impact that starts to ripple out from your life. This is what God created you for. And I couldn't understand, I couldn't understand why every single one of us wouldn't want this too. Because what I'm convinced of is at the end of the day, it is what all of us deep down truly desire. I have never been to a funeral where people got up and talked about how much that person owned, how much money they had, how nice their house was, how comfortable their lives are. But these tend to be the things that drive us day to day. What do people get up and talk about? They talk about the impact that the person had in their life. They talk about the impact that this person had in other people's lives. Because really, at the end of our lives, what we want to look back and see is not that we were comfortable, not that we were rich, not that people thought we were powerful and influential. What we want to look back and see was, did I make a difference in anybody else's life? Did I truly take the best of what I have and leverage that for the best of others. This is the desire. This desire is the desire, the only desire that can truly change me because it's the only desire because it's the desire to become who I was meant to be. The only desire that can truly change me 
is the desire to become who I was meant to be. That is God's desire for you, and that's the desire that God wants you to have for you. And, and, and it's so easy to hear this and think, but I'm doing that already. It's so easy to hear this and think, yeah, my best for the best of others. Check. I'm, I'm doing that. Like I have those areas of my life where I'm doing that. Like I serve with the sprouts, you know, and I have my kids in sports and I tell my wife I love her. So check, got those boxes covered. But you got to hear, it's not a set of boxes. It's not a couple things in your life that you do to make sure that you're leveraging your best for the best of others. You got to hear this. Listen, my best for the best of others is meant to be Everything that I do, everything that I do is meant to fall under the umbrella of my best for the best of others. Everything that I do in my life is meant to be laser focused on helping me move towards my best for the best of others. Everything is meant to fall under this. This is the reason I get up early in the morning because I want to get up early in the morning and get myself focused for the day on God's truth about me and about others so that when I walk into my day I can be at my best for the best of others I work out because I want to be of physical use to other people my best for the best of others I want to manage my health well because I want to be able to live long enough that I can have continue to have impact in my children my family's lives my best for the best of others this is why I work hard at my job because at the end of every job at the end of everything you do at your job people are impacted by your goods and services. So I'm going to work my best for the best of others. It is the reason I manage my finances because I want to be financially healthy so I can be generous and leverage the best of what I have for the best of others. It's the reason I try to sleep seven to eight hours a night because I know when I'm well rested, I can have a better influence in the lives of other people. I'm happier. I'm more energized. I'm more focused on the relationships around me and I can impact them more. It's the reason that I manage my insecurity and my fear and my stress like a demon because I know those are the things that will undermine my best for the best of others. So I'm going to tackle those things and I'm going to take care of them so I can be at my best for the best of others. It's the reason I get away and recreate. It's the reason I get away and take a vacation from the time to time because I need to refuel myself so I can come back and be at my best for the best of others. And everything in my life, everything in your life was meant to have a laser focus towards becoming your best for the best of others. And this isn't just like one thing, one part of the Christian life. This is the all of the Christian life. When the Bible talks about serving others, it's talking about your best for the best of others. When the Bible talks about love, it's talking about leveraging your best for the best of others. When the Bible talks about leadership, this is what it's talking about. And everything that Jesus says to do, all the things that he calls us to follow him in through his word, his will, and his ways was meant to help us become our best for the best of others. And often when I talk about this, the response that I get back from people is that this is just impractical. There's no way that anybody could live their life this way because you just become a servant to the desires of everybody and never really be able to do anything good or anything helpful. You just be exhausted and serving everybody's desires all the time. Not true. Two things. One, it's not about meeting people's desires, but meeting people's needs. We all know uh, people's desires are different than their needs. What somebody needs is going to be different from their desire. My goal is to meet their need that's going to move them towards their best, not their desires. Number two, 
I can't meet everybody's needs all the time. So I have to manage myself like a resource. And I'm not going to allow myself to get spread too thin. I have to manage myself well. So I'm going to prioritize my attention, my time, my efforts towards the relationships that are most proximate to me. The people who are closest to me relationally are the people that I have the greatest potential to impact. The people who are closest to you relationally are the people that you have the greatest potential to impact. And so I prioritize myself based on proximity of relationship. I'm married, so my wife comes before everybody else in the entire world. I have small kids who live in my house, so they come before everybody else. I have a full-time job, and so the people that I serve through my job, their needs come next. And then coworkers and family and friends come after that. It's a, a descending order of proximity of relationship. And sometimes, sure, there are needs that are greater that, that, that pop up further away from me than small needs that are close to me. And so using God-honoring discernment and wisdom, I'll recognize there are times when I have to refocus my energies on somebody who's relationally further from me. But it's all about figuring out how do I best invest myself and the relationships that are most proximate to me. And there are going to be different seasons of our lives where we invest ourselves differently. When you have a young family and you have young kids, they require a disproportionate amount of your time because you have a great opportunity to impact them in a huge way. Mother Teresa said, if you want to change the world, go home and love your family. And this is so true because you can... Make these people, these small people who are growing up into your house, into people that can go out and change the world. You have the greatest opportunity to make an impact there. Somebody who's further along and is retired and have no kids living in their home have a different opportunity to invest themselves differently. But I am going to look at my relationships and see where can I, where can I leverage my best for the best of others. And what Paul says next, what Paul says next is so, so interesting. Based on what we know now, 2,000 years later, what Paul says next is this. He says, the mind governed by the sinful nature is death. The mind, the mind governed by the sinful nature is death. But the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. Mark Ryan and... um, Edward Deasy, have been researching what motivates people for the past 40 years. past 40 years, they've been researching what is it that motivates people, that, that, that drives people, that causes us essentially to do the things that we do. And they found that the great, one of the greatest predictors of a human being's happiness and emotional well-being, one of the greatest predictors is not how much money they have, it's not how much they own, it's not how big their house is, it's not how nice their car is. One of the biggest predictors of somebody's happiness and overall well-being is the desire that drives them. That what determines whether or not somebody is truly happy and is mentally healthy is the desire that drives them. And they found a set of six desires that they found tend to drive human beings. Once our immediate needs are met, thank you Maslow, once our immediate needs are met, there are these other sets of desires that people tend to align with. The first set are these. Wealth, the desire to be wealthy, the desire to be well-regarded, and the desire to be physically Attractive. 
And in terms of what we've been talking about over the past two weeks, we could categorize these under the desire to be accepted because these are acceptance-oriented goals. I want people to think well of me. You know, I want to be accepted. I want to be physically attractive so people accept me. I want to be wealthy so that people are impressed by me or look up to me. They're acceptance-based goals. And what Ryan and DC found was that when people are driven by these desires, number one, it's because they think these things will make them happy, But number two, the outcome is that by and far, the people who live by those desires are less happy. They have a much lower level of mental health. They struggle struggle with insecurity, anxiety, and depression at a far higher rate than people who are driven by other desires. That the people who are driven by these things because they think they'll make them happy are the people who end up less happy. They also found this. The other six desires that they say tend to drive people are individual growth, so getting better, uh, the desire to have satisfying relationships, and the desire to contribute to the community. Or we could summarize in our parlance as getting better at getting better, or getting better at helping others get better. And what they found was people who are driven by these desires, desires that align with getting better at helping others get better, people driven by those desires tend to be happier, have a higher level of mental well-being, are more satisfied in their lives. They find that they are more confident and are more uh, energized. They have more vitality to do the things that, they, uh, that they're invested in in their lives. So more energy, more vitality, and a higher level of happiness. And it's really interesting Because it's as if what God wants for us, what God desires for you, and what he wants you to desire for you is actually the thing that makes you happy. It's as if your heavenly father, my heavenly father, really actually wants us to be happy happy. You see, the reason that the only desire that can truly change me is the desire to become who I was meant to be. The reason that's the only desire that can truly change me is because it's the only pursuit that will ever make me happy. The reason that the desire to get better so you can help others get better. The reason that desire is the only desire that can ever cause you to become the kind of person who does what you know you should more consistently is because it's the only desire, the only driver for your life that will truly, at the end of the day, make you happy. So Paul goes on and colors out the picture of our Heavenly Father. He says, the mind governed by the sinful nature, those focused on what immediately, in, in my immediate circumstances makes me happy, are hostile to God because their desires are different. They're not interested in what God desires for them. That mind does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. When, when my desires are set on things other than what God desires for me, I'm not motivated to do what God's asking me to do. So they're just going to run in separate directions from each other. Paul continues. He says, those governed by the sinful nature cannot please God. Hear Paul correctly. He's not saying those who live according to the sinful nature are not loved by God. He's not saying that God does not offer them forgiveness. He does not say that they are not accepted. 
by God. He said they cannot please God. When a parent watches their child make decisions that undermine their own happiness, does that parent still love them? Of course. Does that parent forgive them? Of course. Do they accept them? Of course. Is that parent pleased? No. Of course not. No parent is pleased when they watch their child deprive themselves of the happiness that that parent knows that they can have. When our Heavenly Father watches us run and live after desires that He knows, that He knows are going to end up undermining our own happiness, that He knows are only going to lead to anxiety and depression, what Paul calls the mind of death. He knows there are things that are ultimately going to undermine our happiness. And of course He's not pleased by that. He wants your best and He wants my best. He wants us to be happy. And isn't that we want too. Wouldn't we be energized with a life focused with unyielding determination, determination for our best to learn how to leverage our best for the best of others? So how do we do it? I'm going to give you three things that help us maintain a focus on God's desire for us for our best for the best of others. The first one you already know the answer to because it's the answer to everything in church. We can all safely say Jesus, right? Jesus focused. Number one is we're going to stay Jesus focused. Greg Beale, who's a theologian, said that we become what we worship. And we know that this is psychologically true, that we will become like what we, do, what we admire, what we look up to. The role models that we have in our lives will shape who we become. The reason Jesus wants us to worship him is not because he needs something from us, but because he wants something for us. He knows that when we fix our sights on him and worship him as the highest good, it will produce changes in us that make us become like him. This is why we sing. This is why we pray. This is why we read his word. And we know that when we follow him fully, we become like him. We become people that learn how to leverage their best for the best of others. That when you follow Jesus... The more like Jesus you become, the happier you'll become. And the more effective you will be at leveraging your best for the best of others. So we're going to stay focused on Jesus. Not only because worshiping him causes us to become like him and following him causes us to become like him, but because when we stay focused on Jesus, we continue to embrace our God-given acceptance. Until I am fully loved by Jesus, I cannot love others fully. Until I'm fully loved by Jesus, I can't love others fully. Until I've fully embraced my God-given acceptance, I cannot fully, to the best of my abilities, leverage my best for the best of others. And here's why. Because if I am still looking for acceptance apart from Jesus, then I need something from others. If I'm looking for acceptance apart from Jesus, where am I going to find that acceptance? From others. And as long as I need something from others, I am not fully, completely able to give to others. And so until I find my full acceptance in Christ, it's going to deprive me of my best for the best 
of others. And I think this is one of the most critical life lessons that a human being can learn, that you are fully, completely loved by God. Because when you understand this and embrace it and live in it, you can fully and completely give yourself and you are best for the best of others. It is the most transformative skill that you could master in your entire life. And it's why throughout the Bible we find God telling us the message over and over again that he loves us, he loves us, he loves us because this is what produces the change in us. So we're going to stay Jesus-focused, and we're going to remain others-oriented. If we want to leverage our best for the best of others, we have to be others-oriented. The way that we're going to stay others-oriented is by constantly asking ourselves the question, what do those who need me most, most need from me? What do the people who need me most, most need from me? And I'm going to ask myself this question all the time. Who are the people that are closest to me in my life that truly need me most? And what are their needs? What do they need in order to be moved towards their best? What do they most need from me? Before I start into my week, I'm going to ask myself, who are the people who need me most? And what is it? What is it this week that they most need from me? Before I sit down at a meeting, I'm going to think of the people that are going to be around the table. And I'm going to ask myself, what are these people who need me most in this moment? What do they most need for me, before I walk into my house at night, I'm going to sit in the car and I'm going to think, before I walk in, what are these people who need me most right now? What do they most need from me? You can ask yourself before any time you engage with another person, before you check out at the grocery store, you can ask yourself, what is this person who's ringing me up at the grocery store most need from me? And I can't give them all of me in that moment, but what does this person most need from me in this moment right now? To be seen to be validated, to be appreciated, to be sympathized with. When this becomes the driving question that I'm asking myself throughout the day before I engage with anyone, I become very aware and very sensitive, not just to other people's desires, but to what is it that deep down they truly need to be encouraged towards their best. So I'm going to stay Jesus-focused, others-oriented, and I'm going to be self-aware. I need to be self-aware. You know who has the greatest opportunity to undermine your best for the best of others? You do. That's right. You have the greatest opportunity, the greatest potential to undermine your best for the best of others. So I am going to stay self-aware. Self-awareness means being aware of my own conditions. It means paying attention to myself, paying attention to the decisions I make, to my emotions, and to the attitudes that are carrying me through my day. These are the things that have the ability to undermine my best for the best of others. And what is behind, what is behind my decisions, what's behind my emotions, what's behind my attitudes, are thoughts. Thoughts are behind all of them. So when I find myself making decisions that are going to undermine my best for the best of others, I'm going to start an internal dialogue with myself. I'm going to ask myself, why am I doing this? What is it that's motivating me to do this thing that I know isn't for my best, for the best of others? Somewhere in there is a thought that is driving the behavior. I'm going to find that thought. And maybe that thought is telling me because you need to feel accepted, because you need to feel in control. You are doing this because you've had a hard day and you think this is going to bring you relief. Identify that thought and attack it mercilessly with what you know is true. 
I don't need this. I don't need to be accepted. I don't need to feel like I'm in control because I'm already in control. I'm going to demonstrate my control by not doing this thing that I feel like I'm being tempted to do. I'm going to become become self-aware of my decisions and what's driving me to make them. I'm going to become self-aware of my emotions and attitudes that are driving me. The most uh, the, the, the attitudes and emotions that have the greatest potential to undermine your best for the best of others tend to be fear, stress, insecurity, and the need for control. When you find yourself feeling stressed, when you find yourself feeling insecure and vulnerable around other people, you are at your most dangerous. When I'm in those circumstances, when I'm stressed and I'm feeling insecure, I am most dangerous to other people. So I have to find the thoughts that are behind those feelings so that I can take the air and the pressure and the power out of them and get myself back into a place where I can be my best for the best of others. So when I find myself feeling stressed, feeling afraid, feeling insecure, I'm going to ask myself, what is making me feel this way? What is causing me to feel this? And I'll tell you, 85% of the time, I bet you, 85% of the time or more, you will find, if you track that feeling all the way to its root, you will find that you are being driven by a fear of rejection. And then you look that in the eye and you say, nuh-uh, because I'm accepted by my heavenly Father, and if I am accepted by the creator of the universe, who do I feel like I have to prove myself to? And why do I have to be driven by a fear of rejection by them? And you take the air and the power out of those emotions, those attitudes that tend to drive us through the day by becoming more self-aware of the thoughts that are driving them. You know, we, the way that we talk to ourselves, we would never talk to anybody else that way. The things that we say to ourselves, I can't, I can't, I just can't. You would never say that to someone else. You would never tell somebody who is struggling with their day, you can't, you can't. But we tell ourselves that. We need to track these thoughts down. These thoughts that accuse us of being failures and saying that we can't. We need to find these thoughts, root them out, and look them in the eye and say, yes, you can. You are able to. Yes, you can. No, you're not a failure. You're accepted by the creator of the universe. So stop believing these lies. Become more self-aware. I know. Last thing. That a lot of you are in one of the most difficult seasons of your entire life. And you are going through things right now that the rest of us couldn't even imagine having to go through. And you're just caught off guard, and you just feel like reality's been pulled out from underneath of you. And as I talk, you're thinking, I can't even think about others right now. I can't, I can't think about my best for the best of others, because I feel so broken and hurt. I don't even know what my best is or if I could ever get there. And I hear you, and I hear you. And what God wants for you right now in this moment and as you walk through this season is just to stay close to him, to continue to walk through this with him. He sees your broken heart, and his heart breaks as well. And he's inviting you, his child, his son, 
his daughter to continue to walk through this season with him. And he would never want what you're going through for you, and he would never, he would never wish it upon you. But what your heavenly Father knows is that if you would persevere through this with him, close to him, you will come out stronger, you will come out better, as hard as that is to imagine, you will come out a person that God can leverage these experiences that you're going through now for the best of others. That God will take these, the worst of circumstances, and he will use them to produce your best for the best of others. And he just asks you now, for now, just stay close to me as we walk through this season together. God is inviting you to embrace your God-given acceptance and your God-given autonomy. And the desire, the desire for your best, for the best of others. Because our Heavenly Father, your Heavenly Father knows that at the end of the day is the only thing that will ever make you happy. You guys pray with me. Father, you see our hearts, our fears, our insecurities. And you love us so much. Allow us to be reminded now at the core of our being who you created us to be. Christ-like versions of ourselves who are capable of leveraging their best for the best of others. We are accepted, we are loved, and we are free. Help us to take those steps to do what we need to do to become who you created us to be. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.